0: One of the things that I've uh, often wondered about, um, and it's kind of weird, no, it's really weird, um, but, you know, we're not Catholic. If you thought you were at the Catholic Church this morning, you're not. And they have practices and they do things that, that you know, are different than, than what we do. And one of the things that's always fascinated me is their practice of confession that you know um, you you go and um, you ever so often i guess you meet with the priest or whatever and you sit down in this little box and like a closet and you tell him what you did wrong and then he tells you what you need to do and you know you you go on from there and we don't we don't do that you know as baptists but this morning I feel like I, should, I need to confess a sin to you, uh, an ongoing struggle. I, um, I have a real propensity, a real knack for getting stuck. I mean physically stuck. The very first time that Cricket and I ever went any place together, I buried my truck in the mud. We, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. We walked 10 miles that night to get back to civilization, 10 miles in the middle of the night. And and it's not just vehicles that I get stuck or not just cars. I've stuck some of the best lawnmowers, um, you, you know, a zero turn mower will not float, <laughs> but it will sink in your pond. And and I, y'all, I don't mean to do this, but I do this all the time. Not too long ago, I I got my truck stuck in the front yard, and 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 Chelsea puts on Facebook, my dad's done it again, and Sean has to come and and pull me out. I just I don't know. Um, I probably need analyzing or something as to why I have such a hard time with this concept. It may be the whole football thing. Because, you know, on the football field, if things go wrong, you just bury your head deeper and you go harder. That's not good if you're stuck, you know. And and that's kind of what I do. And I, I was thinking about that. And, you know, that can happen to us in a spiritual sense, too. We can get stuck. We can, we can get um, almost trapped where we are and think that we're trying to make progress, but, but really, from an outside viewpoint, all we'd be doing is spinning our wheels. We can, we can be in a situation whether, whether it's, you know, emotional or, or physical or financial or whatever we want to talk about this morning. And though we had good intentions when we started before we realized that we just are stuck. And I want us to look at a story today in the New Testament about a guy who was literally stuck. Um, look at John chapter 5 with me. John chapter 5. It's a story about a man who was stuck for 38 years. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one that had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The Pool of Bethesda, from what little I understand about it, was uh, a place in the, in the city of Jerusalem that held water pretty much all the time. And uh, for some reason, and there's a lot of debate as to exactly why, and I certainly don't know, um, some speculate that it was just a natural occurrence that would happen when um, uh, a collection of water in an upper pool would flow down to the place that we read about today and then of course the water, you know, would, uh, would move and would agitate and, and things like that. Uh, others believe that um, uh, there, there might have been a, a time in history when uh, uh, even an angel of God um, had, had visited that place and had caused the water uh, to have some healing properties. Most people think it might be something kind of similar to a hot spring, something that uh, occurs naturally, periodically, you know, uh, ha- has some, um, some rhythm to it if you will, or, or some consistency to it, but what, for whatever reason every so often and i'm assuming it was every few hours maybe every few days i really don't know but the water would begin uh, the scripture uses the word stir it would bubble it would it would uh, become active and the feeling was that if you had a physical ailment and you could get into that water while it was active you could be healed And so people camped there forever, trying to be um, the people who were lucky enough to get into the water when it would move. And the man that we read about today evidently had been trying this for 38 years. And you know, I just get this picture that, that the pool evidently was not that large and whenever it would bubble up or stir or move or whatever uh, it did, then there'd just be a mass of people running down to it and trying to get into the water. And basically they ran over the man that we read about today. They stepped on him and they knocked him out of the way. Remember, he could not walk. He was, he was having to try to crawl to get into the water And he did this day in and day out, get it again for 38 years. That's a long time to do anything. But that was the man's life. And he thought this was his only hope. This was his only choice. That someday by luck or divine intervention or some other cosmic force, I'd actually get into the water while it's moving. It never happened, just never happened. Jesus comes along this particular day, we pick up the story there and he hears about the man that had been there for so long and he goes over and he has a conversation with him and of course we read the end of, of the conversation and we know the man was healed but there's some things that I want us to notice about the character of Jesus while he's talking to this man. The first one is this. I want us to notice the compassion of Christ. The compassion of Christ. Do you remember when we first started reading, it says, now sometime after this or sometime later, okay? What what that's referring to, if we went back and read the fourth chapter of John, we would remember that Jesus and the disciples had been on quite a journey to get to Jerusalem, okay? And it's in that fourth chapter that they go through um, a bad place for a first century Jew to be. I don't know any other way to say that, but they go through Samaria, and he encounters the woman at the well. You know that story. Well, this takes place after that. So I think we can at least easily assume that Jesus has been busy, and he's probably tired. Also, he's there in Jerusalem for what the scripture calls a Jewish holiday or a Jewish festival. Now, where should Jews be in Jerusalem for a Jewish Festival. He should have been at the temple. That should have been the first stop. That's where he was expected to be. And on top of all that, it was Saturday. Or what the Jews call the Sabbath. Kind of like our Sunday. A day dedicated uh, holy and strictly for the worship of God. And, you know, we could go back and look in the, in the law of Moses and how particular and how stringent that law was. And they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. And all those kinds of things. One thing a good Jew should not be doing is having a conversation with a social outcast on the Sabbath. And do we get how none of that mattered to Jesus? Did Jesus forget that the festival was happening? I really doubt that. Did he forget it was the Sabbath day? I don't think so. In fact, you know, I don't know this for sure, and he may tell me one day I got this wrong, but I could just see him kind of kind of shuffling his feet a little bit on the trail to Jerusalem, making sure it was Saturday when they got there. I think he wanted it to be the Sabbath day. I think what Jesus wanted that day was to show this man that had been there for so long and then in turn to show us that neither social convention or religious expectations or fatigue, or anything else that this world wants to throw in the way will deter Christ from you. And if that's not good news this morning, then I don't have anything else to offer. All the things that Jesus had to do at this particular time in his life, and of all the expectations that people had placed on him, whether those expectations were valid, right or wrong, doesn't matter, they were still there. And what does he do? He goes and talks to the one guy in the city that nobody's probably talked to for 40 years. He went to the guy who was stuck. The compassion of Christ. We can never forget just how powerful that really is. Second thing this morning about the personality of the Lord was the curiosity of Christ. The curiosity of Christ. Look what he says to the, to the man. In verse six, it says when Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, the first time you read that, that can seem like the biggest duh question that anybody could ever ask. Do you want to get well? Well, yeah, of course, absolutely. The disciples probably standing behind Jesus going, he let off with that one? Everybody, I mean, nobody's at the pool of Bethesda if you don't want to be well. Nobody's there for any other reason. And Jesus goes up to him and says, do you want to get well? The thing that's critical for us here, and the reason I like this version for this particular story, is the verb. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? There's a difference between do you want to be well and do you want to get well? One more time. There's a big difference between do you want to be well and do you want to get well. Everybody there wanted to be well. The man who'd been there for 38 years wanted to be well. That's not what Jesus asked him. He said, do you want to get well? Ooh. Now to think about it, that might be a little different. Okay? We all want to be something. Few of us want to do what it takes to achieve that. When we're physically ill, we want to feel better. We don't always want to go to the doctor and take the time and the effort and the money in order to get better. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, guys. The healing that occurred in this man's life and the healing that occurs any place on this earth comes strictly and solely through the hand of Jesus. We don't earn that. It's not something that we we purchase or that we bargain with or anything like that. Jesus healed this man. But when Christ moves, you look at the entirety of the Bible. It always requires a response on our part, doesn't it? When Jesus does something, it always requires a follow up or a response on our part. Do you want to get well? You know, I'll be honest with you this morning. If I could just snap my fingers, I want to have hair. I really do. I used to have a lot. I mean, a lot. And one day it was gone. But I'd like to have hair. I do not want to get what you have to get in order to have hair in my condition. I have seen the hair transplant videos on YouTube when they're slicing parts of your scalp and plugging the front of your head with those things? No, Mm-mm. I'm gonna buy a hat, okay? I wanna have hair, but I don't wanna get hair. We all face that question from time to time, don't we? Sure, I wanna I want better myself in life but I'm not sure that I really want to put forth the effort to go back to school and do what it takes to get to that point. Even when God makes provision for us, am I willing to do that? I'm tired of being in this relationship that is mentally or emotionally abusive. It it grieves me every single day. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. But you know what? I just feel stuck, and I'm going back there when I leave here this morning. There's a difference between being well and getting well. The curiosity of Jesus has a poignant um, point for us to take home this morning and understand that Jesus is more than willing and more than capable to heal us from any situation and to correct anything in this world that we may have found ourselves stuck in, even if we're the ones doing the driving. But he's going to expect a response from us, and he expected two responses from the man at the pool, and those responses were commands. The commands of Christ that day, the first one was, get up. Get up. How does a man who's an invalid for 38 years do that? Well, it ain't real pretty. I'm just telling you. It probably was not graceful. I doubt seriously that he was going to get any points for style when Jesus told him to get up. What do you do when you don't feel strong enough to get up and God tells you to get up? You get up. And you don't worry about how it looks. And you don't worry about how unshaky or how shaky it is and how unstable it may be. God tells you not to go back to that relationship again. You just don't go. And no, you don't know where you're gonna go tonight, but you don't go back there. You gotta get up. The second command that the Lord gave the man was, take up your mat and walk. Take up your mat and walk. Why? Why didn't he just say walk? Why did he tell him specifically to take his mat? Okay, this was his pallet. This was his, his bedroll, his sleeping bag, whatever. It probably was nothing but a, an, an old piece of, of hide that he had found to, to lay on to make it a little bit more comfortable than just laying on the rock or the ground. And Jesus said specifically, pick that up. Pick that up. You know why? Because he was telling this man, you're not ever coming back here again. Don't you leave anything behind. Oh, no, you're not coming back here again. You see, this morning Jesus wants to heal us, but he does not want to be the hedge to our bets. He does not want to be our fallback plan. He wants to be our target. He wants to be where we're going and he's not a big fan of looking back. God is not a big fan of looking behind. Ask Lot's wife. Things got hard for her. That was a bad joke, it really was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, forgive me. God does not, he did not want this man to ever think that he could go back to this way of life again if he was going to follow Christ. That's not getting well. That's just not getting well. All of Jesus' efforts would have been futile had he left away. For himself to come back to that old way of life that he had lived for almost 40 years. When Jesus tells us to get up, as scary as that may be, when it gives us a lot more questions than we have answers for, and when he says walk, when he says go, We leave everything else behind. We don't have our way of life and a little Jesus when we need a rescue. That's not the way it works. Now he had to leave. He had to make sure that he rid himself of any opportunity to ever fall back into that useless, futile way of life. I know some Somebody might be here this morning and, and they're thinking, you know, Cody, that sounds good, that's a great story. But you know, that's 2,000 years ago. That's back when Jesus really walked the earth and he, he really did physically heal people and he really raised people from the dead and, and he walked on the water and, you know, it's not the way life is anymore. I want to tell you one personal story and then you can make up your own mind, and I'll be through. One story that I happen to know about firsthand. Tell you a story about my dad. Um, man who raised me when he didn't have to. Man who has put up with my mother for over 40 years. That's not the story, but, you know, we don't have time for that this morning. If you don't know, Coach Hill's my dad. And Coach Hill smoked cigarettes for decades. I've known him since I was 16. Never saw him without one. Now, Coach Hill didn't just smoke. Coach Hill was the kind of guy that would have one lit and light another at the same time, okay? Seriously, three and four packages of cigarettes a day. And he tells this story of him driving out in West Texas, and God literally knocking on the window of his truck and saying, you have to put those up. And he comes home and he hands these these cigarette packages and the cigarette lighter to my mom, and she's going, I don't want these. How long has that been, Coach? Yeah, way before Chandler was born. Nearly 30 years since he smoked one. No 12-step program, nothing. He just had an encounter one day where God said, get up, pick up your mat, and let's go. You're going to have a hard time convincing that old man that Jesus doesn't do miracles today. You ever think about what the man at the, at the pool's mat must have looked like after 38 years? Oh my goodness. That had to be one nasty piece of, of carpet or whatever it was. 38 years, he's laid on it and he's eaten on it and he's sweat on it. Not been able to get up, not been able to clean it or wash it or anything. It had to just be hideous. Our mats are often not real pretty. But wasn't it cool? Can't you imagine the look on the guy's face (laughs) at the first trash can that he encountered? To be able to stand there and wad that old nasty thing up that he'd literally been stuck in for four decades and throw that away and never have to see it or smell it or live it again. What's your mat look like this morning? It may be an old dirty piece of carpet. It may be a package of cigarettes. It may be A relationship that has been broken so long and there's a bitterness that lives inside of you right now that really just consumes everything else that you do and and shadows the life that Jesus so desperately wants you to have. Isn't it time to pick it up and throw it away? The Jesus that encountered the man at the pool of Bethesda By his grace and by his goodness. is in First Baptist Church, Huntington, Texas, this morning. If he's telling you to get up and get rid of your old mat, then that's exactly what we need to do. Let's pray together as our music team comes. Father, we thank you today for... The story in your word that we read, Father, that even though it happened a long, long time ago in a world that we don't understand, it's, it's so applicable to my life this morning. Because, God, the truth is I do get in a rut and I do get stuck and I do get to thinking that there's no way out and it's got to be somebody else's fault and if only someone would help me And all I do is just spin my wheels deeper and deeper and deeper. And yet you come along, Lord, and very simply, you just say, Get up. It's time for this to be over. It's time to be unstuck, it's time to be free. God, we can never thank you enough for that power and that invitation. Our prayer is this morning that we would answer it and then we'd get up and walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.